there is a crisis of busyness in Western society today. Uh, people struggle to switch off. Technology was meant to give us more free time, uh, but smartphones and notifications mean we can never escape work. Uh, the result of all of this technology and the way work is changing is that stress leave, insomnia, anxiety are more common than ever. Now, of course, there are some people for whom there is no option other than to be frantically busy. They are in a season of life where, where they don't have a choice, like new parents, uh, or carers for elderly or disabled family members, uh, many single parents, uh, or perhaps people trying to combine study with work, and there are just not enough hours in the day. That's, that's one group of people. But I think for many of us, I want to suggest that busyness, at least to some extent, is a choice. Often we wear our busyness as a badge of honour. The first thing most of us say in answer to the question, how's life or how is work, what do we say? Busy. Really busy. Why do we feel the need to say that? Why do we want other people to know that we are busy? Often I think there's a, a boast in that reply disguised as a complaint. If we actually stop our busyness long enough to consider our motivations, we may find that busyness has become a measure of our worth, our significance. Our identity has been connected to what we do. Who we are is connected to what we produce. If we're busy or needed or appreciated, then that must mean our life has meaning. Uh, Tim Crider, in an essay for the New York Times, it's coming up to 10 years old, but it's interesting how relevant it still is. Uh, he wrote an essay called The Busy Trap, and he makes this point, and he, said, he says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance that is a reassurance to our feelings about ourselves. Busyness is a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. Now, that may be you, at least a little bit. It may not be you. Uh, are you driven by the need to be busy, to or, or perhaps to be in control of situations or to be respected because of what you do or the need to be efficient or effective or competent? Is your life more about striving than stillness? Is it more about restlessness than rest? Is it more frantic than faith? Are you willing to hit the pause button for a moment? Uh, long enough to consider your heart. Consider what drives you and what motivates you to be busy. And to consider what God's word says. Uh, Jesus does not want us to be busy. At least not in the sense of striving. 
of restlessness and fear and anxiety and finding our identity and our meaning in what we do or achieve or earn. Listen instead to what Jesus wants. He wants us resting and rejoicing in him. Listen again to the wonderful invitation from Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, are there any more wonderful words from Jesus than this? He's inviting people to come to him and to be refreshed. Uh, Who does he invite? What are the entrance requirements to receive this? Does he only invite the successful and the proud? Or as verse 25 says, the wise and the learned? Is he only interested in the religious elite or the morally upright? Do we have to achieve a certain standard before we're eligible to come to Jesus? No. He's hidden these things from the wise and learned, verse 28 says. You just need to be weary and burdened, labouring and heavy laden. I won't ask for a show of hands, but it would be interesting, wouldn't it, to ask who thinks they qualify? Uh, That first word, weary, is a response to the second word, being burdened. Life has loaded you up with heavy burdens. They might be psychological or or the emotional burden of too many people depending on you or expecting things of you. Uh, The burden may be too many bills and not enough money. It might be a physical burden. Uh, burden, the, the demand of long work hours and hard work and not enough sleep. And the result of those burdens is that you feel weary, you're beaten down, you're discouraged. Now if that's you, for whatever reason, with whatever burden, Jesus invites you to come, to come to him, which means to carry his yoke and to learn from him. And he says, when you do that, there will be rest. Let him refresh you. Because verse 30 says, the yoke that he gives you is easy and his burden is light. Now, in case you don't know, a yoke, it's a heavy piece of wood that would join two oxen, two, two cows together, who, and so they could pull the load on the cart. That's, that's a, a yoke. Now this invitation of Jesus, it's a a very different sort of invitation to the one that the legal, the religious experts of the time were offering the the, the Jews, uh, Jesus' uh, nation. The religious experts were saying, come to God, learn the law and obey it. And success will depend on how well you can keep this law. A few chapters further on in chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus criticises the experts. Uh, And he says, 
the experts, the religious leaders, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They would add law upon law that the people had to keep. In Galatians 5, chapter 1, Paul calls the Jewish law a yoke of slavery that burdens people. See, the Jewish law was a difficult yoke and a heavy burden. But Jesus says, come to me, learn from me, and I will give you an easy yoke and a light burden. Learn from Jesus. Don't, rather than learning from the law, learn from Jesus. Now, an easy yoke, it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost an oxymoron. Do you, do you know what an oxymoron is? Uh, two descriptions that are the opposite of one another. Example, an original copy. Can you make me an original copy? No, they don't go together, do they? Or a final draft. Well, no, if it's a draft, it's not final. Or seriously funny. They don't go together. That's an oxymoron. And, and so here we've got an easy yoke. When we come to Jesus and when we learn from him, the yoke he gives us to carry is easy. But I want to suggest it's more than just a load which is less heavy than some other load. I want to suggest that the burden Jesus gives us to carry actually gives us energy. It's a burden that refreshes, that restores and allows us to rest. What sort of load would that be? Perhaps the load of a parachute for a plane passenger who's about to jump out a, 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 a plane that's crashing. Or maybe the load of a life jacket to a man that's drowning. Jesus offers a yoke which gives rest. Now notice why the yoke that he gives us is easy to carry. Verse 29. Because Jesus is not a hard master. He's not a stern boss. He is gentle and humble in heart or meek and lowly. He's not harsh. He's not easily frustrated with you. He's not judgmental, shaking his finger. He's not a hard marker. Jesus' natural posture is to welcome rather than to accuse. Jesus is approachable and accessible. He speaks with a soft voice, not a loud, aggressive one. Jesus sees those who are burdened and he unloads them because he cares. Again and again and again through the Gospels, we see him doing that, don't we? Jesus is the most powerful, exalted human who has ever lived, but also the most accepting and welcoming. We're told that he's gentle and humble in heart. This is the only place in the Bible that actually describes what Jesus' heart is. 
the centre of his being, the thing that motivates him, the thing that defines who he is. And he's not pure and demanding in heart. He's not exalted and obedient in heart. He's not even joyful and loving in heart. The characteristic at the core of who Jesus is, that what energises, what he does, that controls the way he reacts to people, is that he's gentle and humble in heart. Which means he welcomes us without judgment or measurement. He welcomes all who, who've come to the end of themselves, who are desperate and exhausted, who are weary and burdened, and he invites us to learn from him. And when we do, he promises us rest for our souls. Verse 29. Not necessarily rest for our bodies. The Christian life is one of hard work. We are servants who are waiting for our master to return. But he promises us rest for our souls. When we come to Jesus, when we learn from him, our perspective changes. Our thinking, our priorities. We begin to live the kingdom of God. We begin to live life with God as our king. And our life begins, begins to tune in or to harmonise with God's plans for his world. And when that happens, the result is rest. What sort of things do we learn from Jesus when we come to him? Well, you've only got excerpts from the Bible, but if you had a real Bible open, you could flip, actually physically flip pages. And if you went all the way back to chapter 4, what would you learn from Jesus? That he calls everyone to repent. And that when we repent, God welcomes and forgives us. That's the beginning. And we can let go of striving, of working to earn God's approval. What else does Jesus teach us? Well, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, Jesus teaches us a whole new way of seeing life. In chapter 5, he says that if we are in God's kingdom, we are blessed, even if we're poor in spirit, and if we mourn, and if we're persecuted. And then Jesus paints a picture of a society where thoughts, not just actions, are pure where people love their enemies, verse 43 of chapter 5, where people give generously to the needy, where they pray for God's kingdom to come, where people live genuine God-focused lives without hypocrisy, where they focus on what is most important and store up things in heaven, and when they seek first God's kingdom, and live in childlike dependence on God. These are all the lessons Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, and he gets to the end and he says, a life like that is built on rock, and the storms of life won't shake it. That's what Jesus teaches. So, so come to him, learn from him, and be refreshed. But Jesus doesn't just teach us about rest. 
and invite us to rest, he actually lives rest. We can look at Jesus' life and see the wisest, most well-balanced, well-adjusted, complete human being who ever lived. Notice how he deals with busyness in Mark chapter 1, verse 32 to 39. Notice it and learn from him. He's in the town of Capernaum where Simon the Apostle lives. Earlier in the day he'd cast out an evil, uh, an unclean spirit in the synagogue and everyone's amazed. And, and by evening, verse 32, news has spread through the town and everyone arrives at Simon's house with their sick and their demon-possessed. Verse 33 says, The whole town gathered at the door. And verse 34, Jesus heals many who had diseases and casts out many demons. This was a long night. It would have been physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausting. He works late into the night healing and restoring people. Why? Because he's gentle and humble in heart. But then notice what he does the next morning. Verse 35. Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Uh, He needs rest. He needs the spiritual refreshment of praying to his father more than he needs to sleep in. Do you notice that? He gets up very early. He doesn't say, well, I'll have a late start today and then I'll go and pray. No. We sometimes feel like we have no control over our busyness. That everything, life is just sweeping over us like a tsunami. But you see, even in the midst of lots of things that we can't change, there are decisions that we can make that can make a difference. Maybe it is very early in the morning while it's still dark and people have not yet put all their busyness on you. But there are decisions we can make where we can seize back some control. It may take determination and an organisation, but there are opportunities for us to find space. And learn from Jesus the type of activity that is best to provide rest for our souls. Now, if Jesus, God's son, needed to pray, who are we to think that we can recover from a busy day with a self-indulgent day in bed or watching TV? If Jesus needed to pray, why do we think we should do something else? Jesus promises us rest in the midst of our busyness, true rest for our souls, when we come to him. So as you find rest, don't forget the importance of coming to Jesus when you need it. Uh, Well, meanwhile, as the sun rises, the crowd begins to build. They wake up and they realise someone else I can take to Jesus. and They all want Jesus to conform to their expectations. (laughs) Simon and the other disciples find him and they say, everyone's looking for you. Uh, There's more of the same thing you did yesterday. More opportunity for you to do your stuff. 
And what's Jesus' response? Well, he's firm. He knows his priorities. Verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Healing, it, it reduces suffering, but it's temporary. Preaching brings people to repentance, which is eternal. And Jesus knows what's most important, and he sticks with that. Learn from Jesus. You see, sometimes our busyness comes from wanting to please other people or to be respected by them, or to be seen as competent by them. Workaholism, even procrastination, can also come from this same motivation of wanting to measure up. And one way to control our busyness is to have a clear sense of why we do what we do, and whose approval we are working for. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom. Now, this same ordering of priorities, we see it in Jesus' visit to Mary and Martha's house. Uh, Luke chapter 10, choosing what is most important. So this is our third passage. In verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, we read, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to them. Now put yourself in Martha's shoes. She hears that Jesus has arrived in town. She has a reputation to uphold, to keep. She's a great cook. She's always the first to show hospitality. So she invites Jesus to dinner. Verse 39, her sister Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening to what he says. But where's Martha? Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She misses out on coming to Jesus and learning from him because she's baking bread. She's distracted from what is most important by many things that are less important. Now, more than one person said to me over the last week or so, I feel really sorry for Martha. (laughs) Bread has to be baked. You've got to eat. Jesus doesn't say it's unimportant. He says it's less important and there are many things that you are being distracted by. Now eventually she gets through her long list of things and she joins Jesus and Mary. But does she sit with Mary at Jesus' feet? Does she apologise? Does she ask Jesus, what about a quick summary? What have have I missed out on while I've been out the back? No. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. 
Her hospitality is meant to be all about honouring her guest, and yet her complaint shows that she's more interested in herself than she is in honouring Jesus. Notice how many times she mentions herself. My sister left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. She's more interested in Jesus confirming her priorities than she is conforming herself to Jesus' priorities. She's more interested in scoring points over her sister than she is learning from Jesus. And Jesus gently rebukes her. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it it will not be taken from her. Martha's busy. She's anxious and uptight. One translation says she's fretting and fussing. Her attention is on many things, and none of them really matter. But Mary knows that only one thing is important. She's sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 11, she's come to Jesus, she's learning from him, and she's finding rest. Will you learn from Mary? Will will you come and sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him? Will you choose what is most important and find rest? Of course, Jesus is not introducing something new here. You see, God built rest into the creation of the world. God created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. And then he commands us to do the same, to to keep the Sabbath holy, to set it apart and to rest on the seventh day. You see, God's world has been made with a natural rhythm of six days to work and one day to rest. And when we learn to rest like that, It's not lazy, it's healthy. It's not sinful, it's obedient. When we learn to rest like that, we are actually synchronising ourselves to the time of the Kingdom of God. Uh, When Karen and I landed in New Zealand uh, in a plane, our phones automatically switched to local time. It's clever, these new Fangled technology, isn't it? Our phones jumped two hours forward. It's clever. Now Jesus invites us to do the same thing. When we arrive, when we land in the kingdom of God, he wants us to synchronise ourselves to local time. To come to Jesus and rest. Resting is trusting God. It's consciously letting go of control. I can't make the world work. I'm going to rest. Rest is enjoying the world God's made and enjoying him as its creator. 
Now, there's personal work for us to do as we deal with our own busyness. But we are here as part of God's people, the church, and so there is group work for us to do. Jesus has gathered us together as his people, the church, and so we have a responsibility to point one another to Jesus, to encourage one another to get out of the kitchen and to come and sit at Jesus' feet. Or here's another application. Perhaps there will be some practical help that's needed for those of us who are busy and don't have any choice in it. Like Jason and Inyong, welcome to Grace. It's lovely to have her here. Perhaps we can help them. Or Gemma, as she copes with all of her stuff in her life. Or those of us who struggle with English and for whom filling out forms and going to appointments and changing things on the phone can be quite difficult. Galatians 6.2 says we are to carry each other's burdens. How can we do that? How can we help someone else's busyness? I want to finish by reading... Psalm 131. King David knew the peace of resting in God. Now this psalm reads a little like when David was a shepherd boy and he was just chilling on a hill somewhere watching some sheep. But I suspect he was actually the king of the nation of Israel. And it doesn't sound like he is overwhelmed with the responsibilities and the busyness. He knew the peace of resting in God, of trusting him rather than striving. And he wanted Israel to know that same rest. So he wrote Psalm 131. It's short, it's sharp, it's engaging, it invites us into David's experience. David knew that he could only be still when he was consciously putting his hope in God. When he was making the decision to quiet his soul. That was an expression of trust. Let me finish by reading this psalm, and may it be your prayer. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore.